Hey, it's Tribe and Bias, and we're back with you again for another episode of the Sports Bag Bros Podcast, the 25th episode. That's right. The quarter century episode is here, and we're on the set, and we know why you're going to join us. You saw the thumbnail, and you know what that is about. But before we get to those NFL running backs that you want to hear about so badly, Bias, let them know a thing or two, maybe even 10, since we're talking about these running backs. (laughs) Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, it's good to be here. Um, like I said yesterday, if you happen to listen, you know, share it. Share us if you like our content, what we talk about. Um, we're even open to criticism, feedback. Give it to us, you know, what we can improve on. And, you know, we want to we want to grow this show. We want followers. We want interaction. So help us out. Yep, and we're putting in the grind. There's no big deal there. We're sports fans. We've been doing this for more than half of our lives. In fact, probably three-quarters of our lives. We've covered sports and wanted sports, and we're just doing this, grinding it out. We would like that participation. We would like to have the conversation with you all when it comes down to the sports that you want to hear about and the sports that we can all agree to disagree or agree all together with. But with all of that said, you saw the thumbnail once again. I'm not going to tell you what it said because you came because of it. And that's because we're talking about the top 10 running backs in the NFL of all times, according to us. Now, there may not be a consensus, but you've heard of all of the names that we're about to mention. We'll start from 10, work our way up. I know you can leave comments in the comment section, or you can just tell us how poorly we can pick these plays and put them (laughs) in the order that you think belongs there. But nevertheless, we're going to start right now. And we will let, me, start. let me interject something. So we agreed on our top five. Yes. But the bottom five, we're, we're winging it. I don't know his bottom five. He doesn't know my bottom five. We're going to try and figure it out. So exactly. First of all, that top five, I mean, I think that's a consensus. We're not going to just put a list together so that we would get people upset about who we pick. I mean, I think the top five, almost like the top three, are almost – kind of cookie quarter across the board. You know, there's pretty much a consensus with the top three. I think not too much could be said differently about the top five, but the bottom five is where we kind of mix and match and probably put players in that we agree with, but they're not in the position that we think they should be in. So that's where we will start. And for me, at least, we have number 10. And on my list of number 10, well, I have Thurman Thomas from the Buffalo Bills. I know a lot of people don't, really think about Thurman Thomas being a top 10 running back. They look at him as a great running back. He got into the Hall of Fame. You know his spiel. I call him a poor man's Marshall Falk, which he was. Before Marshall Falk, he caught passes out of the backfield in that red gun offense run by Jim Kelly. He was part of those four Super Bowls consecutively in which they were losses, but in that first one in particular against the New York Giants. He would have been the MVP of that game and not O.J. Anderson if they would have won. Scott Norwood chose otherwise, and history says otherwise. So I have Thurman Thomas out there. Do you have any agreements or disagreements with Thurman Thomas? I have to disagree on Thurman Thomas. I have to disagree. Um, He only had 62 touchdowns for his career. Yeah. And, I mean, he was a big part of that offense. He allowed them to do a lot of things. Um, that was a very high-powered offense they had in Buffalo. But overall, it's about getting getting in the end zone. And compared yeah. to other players like, like Eric Dickerson, he had 90. Um, Marcus Allen, he had, I don't know, 146, 160. I don't remember. But it's way more than 62. So I'm sorry, but Thurman Thomas is not my 10. Yeah, but you're talking about a running back who was more than a complete running back because he was at a time when catching out of the backfield became more of a thing. We talked on previous episodes and we mentioned the 49ers. We talked about Roger Craig being one of those running backs that got over 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving. Well, Thurman Thomas didn't get the 1,000 yards receiving, but he was really effective catching out of the backfield and eight 1,000-yard-plus seasons in his career. I think that means something, but because of that diversity coming out of the backfield, he made his name known there too with 23 touchdowns. I mean, and 9.4 yards per reception. I mean, that's really effective. It wasn't just Jim Kelly. It was him being a menace to society. 
against teams. And in that Super Bowl that I mentioned, I believe that was Super Bowl number 20 against the Giants. Or might have been 25 against the Giants. And, we, well, it was 25 because 20 was the Giants beating up on Denver. 25 were the Giants on 1990, Whitney Houston. We saw the game. But Thurman Thomas, even gotten <clears throat> the MVP of that game, if not for a start, nor were going wide right and losing the game 29, uh, 20 to 19 against the New York Giants. So Thurman yeah, Thomas. My, my, my biggest gripe with Thurman is he forgot his super, his uh, helmet at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't be a top running back and not available to play at the Super Bowl because you forgot your helmet. But he had but, four Super Bowls to go to, and he was a huge part of that team, just as much but, as okay. Andre Reid. Just but as much you, as James Lofton. You, okay, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but we're talking top ten all the time. And, and you, you gotta be, you gotta be top of the best of the best. And you can't be losing um, your helmet. I'm, I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at Marcus Allen, and he had actually more career receptions than Thurman Thomas did. Um, almost he played a lot longer. A lot longer he played, and did he get those touchdowns the same way? That Thurman got his touchdowns, 23 touchdowns receiving. That shows Marcus, a lot of diversity, and he Marcus made it had 21 touchdowns. He averaged 9.2 yards per reception. Playing a long I, time, I got, though, a lot longer. I got Marcus Allen and Dickerson ahead of Thermos. Because I, I can't, you know what? I can't even use the argument of he didn't have a quarterback. He had Jim Kelly, a Hall of Fame quarterback. And we saw what Marcus Allen had, at least when he was with Kansas City. He did have oh, Joe Montana, but he didn't. You know, the majority of what he did was with the Raiders. He came over to Kansas City, continued his career. He had a much longer career than Thurman Thomas um, and still didn't have the touchdowns in terms of catching out of the backfield. I think Thurman Thomas makes a very solid case of being more diversified because of that. But you know what? Thurman was always the main guy on that Buffalo team coming out of that backfield. I think Kenny Davis was the other guy back there, at least in 1990. Whereas we know what was going on with Marcus. He was the man until he necessarily wasn't the man. He had his issues with Al Davis. And then you had Bo Jackson he's sharing time with. The wear and tear was saved. Yeah, but can we hold him and hold that against him? Oh, no. I mean, longevity has to count for something. And, yeah, longevity and, has to count for something when you're not we're talking, getting the ball as much. You're we're not talking time. But we're talking numbers. Thurman in that high-powered offense – he only had two more receiving touchdowns than Marcus Allen did. In a shorter period of time. In a shorter period of time. I mean, but, hey, we can agree to disagree on that. Well, one. We're gonna, but wait, wait. Now we're talking shorter period of time. That's your stance. What, if I say, what, if what, I say he, Gale Sayers, oh, you can't yeah, use we're that We're talking about him. an extraordinarily shorter period of time see, because of injury. No, no, oh, see. Bro, See, we're you, we're said talking about you said it. You said it, Travis. Yeah, Gail Sayers, eight, eight, eight seasons. I think Gail Sayers played eight seasons. That's a, a lot shorter than someone who's played 12, 13 seasons. I mean, I'm just on. saying, if I say Gail Sayers, you can't use that argument against uh, him. I, I think I can because it's more relative. You can. I don't I mean, I, come on, eight, eight seasons compared I mean, to someone who's played 13 seasons, 12 seasons, 15 seasons. I mean, Gail Sayers did what he did in the time he had done it, and he just came along at I mean, an unfortunate time. If you want to project what Thurman would have done in the same amount of games as Marcus Allen, then allow me to project what Gail Sayers would have done in the same amount of games as oh, Thurman Thomas. Oh, I'm not even projecting. I'm just letting it be known that obviously these two played uh, a certain amount of games, and you still got more results, at least catching out of the backfield for Thurman Thomas, coming with that red gun offense with Jim Kelly leading the way. And there's obviously, I'm not taking anything away from Marcus Allen. He's one of the greats. We're talking about the best of the best who ever played the game, ever played a position. And a lot of times, you know, as we move on and see some of these other players, overall, some of the best players to ever play this game, not just at the position of running back. Yeah, it's, it's just when you, when you, Add in the rushing touchdowns, it's not close. I know, but it, catching is so much more effective from something that's supposed to be so traditional as running the ball. Running backs mean running the ball. That's why someone like Roger. We Clinton, can't even like, agree on ten, dude. We may never finish. <laughs> Man, it finish might be a two-hour show, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll finally get to number five. <laughs> but hey, we got to move up either way, and moving up means that we have to go to number nine. And on that guy, the number nine. 
Well, well, I, I think he could. This one particular guy, at least on my list, he could have gone anywhere. He could have even been in the top five. But that's Eric Dickerson, and you know, always an exciting runner. Everyone knows about him standing upwards, uh, upright, and the way he runs the ball fast. And everyone claims he's going to get hit in his chest. But he was a huge running back. I think he played at his best at 217 pounds. We already know about the 2,000 plus yards that he had in one season. I mean, Eric Dickinson, 2,100, five yards in a season, played with multiple teams. But what's lost what's lost in the entire argument with Eric Dickinson is that um, he's had only seven 1,000-plus-yard season, and that includes his 2,000-plus-yard season. Yeah, I, I agree. Eric Dickinson is top 10. Uh, you talk about his production uh, <clears throat> falling off, possibly. But he he was at he was at the top. Yeah. You know, he you couldn't say when he was at his best that there were running backs better than him. No, I don't think so. There, there, there just weren't. You know, he had the consistency. He was a bigger guy. He was a fast guy. We saw it coming out of SMU, the Pony Express, Craig James. <clears throat> we already knew the story with that. He comes into the NFL, just kicks the door in, puts up that 2,105 yards, which still stands to this day. Adrian Peterson came close. Barry Sanders and a couple of others tried to come close by getting over the 2,000-yard mark, but no one's captured Eric Dickinson after all of this time. Now, as far as the other argument we just made, which diversifies a player's uh, position at running back in particular, catching out of the backfield, he wasn't so effective doing that. And that, oh, what, six foot three, 217 pounds, you think it would be a good idea that he would catch the ball. But six touchdowns to his career catching out of the backfield. We'll stick to just being a pure running on this one. Eric Dickinson. Yeah. He, did catch, he did catch 281 balls. He averaged 7.6 per reception. Um, he wasn't bad, but when you're looking at all-time greats, he wasn't good out of the backfield either. But, I mean, when you run the ball through the tackles and around the horn yeah. as well as he did, um, why throw it to him? Let him run it. Hey, you know what? Add another facet to the game. Add another facet to his game. Give the defense something more to worry about. And you're talking about even smaller players back then to where someone like Eric Dickinson at six foot three would have been a mismatch if you put him in that position like a slot. I know they weren't thinking like that back then, but putting him in the slot with the mismatch, putting him in motion with the mismatch, it would have been, you know, even more added to his career. But it is what it turned out to be. If he, he would have played had he played for Bill Walsh, maybe that would have happened. Now, a different story, a completely different story, playing with Bill Walsh, <clears throat> West Coast offense. Imagine putting him on that San Francisco team, removing Roger Craig, having Eric Dickinson there. Do you get the same numbers? Do you have a more dynamic team? How much more dynamic when they're winning championships anyway? Yeah, I don't know. That's a scary thought to have Dickerson in that backfield. Um, but would they, would they throw it to him as much as they did Roger Craig. Well, if he proves you know, he can catch the ball. Yeah, because, I mean, if he could do it, yeah, they would. Yeah, because you you look at him in college and you saw the offense they ran, and it wasn't about him getting passes or even uh, Craig James getting passes. It was about them getting the handoff and running because it was predominantly a lot of running in the Southwestern Conference, the defunct Southwestern Conference back then. So you never really had to find out if these guys could pass. Hell, you were more interested if they could even block and in the NFL – a lot of times that's the difference between being a great running back in the NFL as opposed to college, learning how to block and knowing your blocking assignments in the NFL, protecting that big money man, which is the quarterback. That's more important than you getting your yards a lot of times. I think that, you know, being that size, the hands you would expect he could catch out of the backfield, but that's all fantasy right now, just as well as this number of plays that we're putting up here in the top 10. Yeah. And I mean, at first thought, I I would have put Dick Dickerson a little bit higher, but looking at his numbers, he did have a few years where, <clears throat> let's see here, he only ran for 677 yards, yes. 536, and 729. So there was a predominant drop-off there. Yeah, <clears throat> he started getting injured. You know, there was bickering back and forth, the reason why he even left Los Angeles to begin with, you know, with management or ownership. He's going back and forth, and he moved on to the Colts. You know, Eric Dickerson, just as far as his pure running style at his best, there weren't many better than Eric Dickerson. So on our list right now, he's number nine, and we could agree on that one. 
even though he didn't catch too many balls out of the backfield that mattered because touchdowns result when it does matter. Moving up to number eight, that will be our next running back. This player, another player, because when you get to this level of talking about the top 10 players, there are a lot of people there with statistics, but the statistics alone shouldn't be the determining factor. I think watching these players, because we've grown up and we've watched these players, so we're not going to YouTube to find out about them. Curtis Martin becomes that player coming out of Pittsburgh, going to the New England Patriots. Boy wonder is what Bill Parcells called him. The legendary Hall of Fame father of Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, called him Boy Wonder when he played with the New England Patriots. So much so, he decided to pack his bags and go to the New York Jets when the big tuna went there. Curtis Martin, tense, I mean, come on, a thousand plus yards in 10 of the 11 seasons that he was active. Because remember, in his last season, he was just injured most of the time, if not the entire season. That's impressive. I mean, there isn't a real standout <clears throat> yards per carry average, but the toughness was there. The consistency was there. And the reliability was there. And he did not fumble often at all. Just 16 fumbles and all 4,002 touches. Come on, man. Yeah, but then he only had 10 scores as a receiver. I mean, we, it seems you're putting a lot of emphasis on – Were they meaningful catches? Yeah. We're talking over his 11, 12 year career, he only had 10 receiving touchdowns. Well, so I, my estimate, I, I don't have him in my top 10. Well, I counted that only because we've watched him play because we're old enough to have watched him play. And the other guys we've talked about, when we talked about whether they could catch out of the backfield or not, we had to take into consideration the offenses they came from. When you looked at what we were talking about with Thurman Thomas, we saw the red gun offense and we knew that there were many opportunities to catch the ball and we saw Thurman Thomas catch the ball. So I think that, that was it was valid to be able to talk about that Thurman Thomas caught the ball pretty much, got 23 touchdowns because that red gun offense might have allowed it. If you look at what Curtis Martin had done, he wasn't in an offense that allowed him to catch the ball all of the time. They let him run the ball very effectively. And if it's a Bill Parcells team, you're going to run the ball a lot. And when Bill moved on to the New York Jets and then Curtis Martin soon followed, he ran the ball again with guys like Vinny Testaverde as quarterback. So yeah, yeah, he, almost had 500, he almost had 500 catches. He caught quite a few balls. Yeah, he, he caught quite a few balls. I mean, he's, but he did exactly what his job description was, being a running back. Yes, well, catching out of the backfield. Okay. Just since we're comparing, he only averaged 6.9 yards per reception. Yeah, and how good was he out of the, so how good was he out of the backfield? You know out what? You know, if you're looking like a pure running back for the position and what it's called for, and if you want to keep with the kind of court coach that he had and Bill Parcells in particular, and knowing what Bill does with the ball, he takes the air out of the ball pretty much from the beginning of the game. If he has a lead, you can forget about it. And if you look at Bill Parcells' history with the running backs he's had, going all the way back to even just Joe Morris. I mean, little Joe Morris was 196 pounds at five foot seven. He took the ball air out of the ball with him. Maurice Carlton as a fullback, he took out the ball out of the air with him. You know, that's just the offense he had. So he gave Curtis Martin the opportunities he gave those same guys and pretty much that same kind of ball control offense. And the numbers show it. And he was reliable enough to go through that grind year after year after <clears> year <throat> until he finally couldn't go anymore in his last season and didn't play at all because of injury. He got the running yards. He did what running backs were supposed to do. Why, why can't you give Marcus Allen the same benefit of the doubt for all those years he played? Because he was splitting time. He wasn't the bell cow all of the time. Once Bo came in particular. And then when he went to no, Kansas Bo, City. Bo only played – Half a season and then got injured the next season, didn't he? And I mean, when you look at Marcus, how long was Bo there? Bo was there what four years, five years? I but, don't think it was that long. You know what? Might not be. Might not have even been that long. But look at this. But the time that Bo wasn't there was Marcus getting those extravagant numbers. The numbers were good for a running back, maybe even great, but for too short a period of time in terms of overall numbers. And so when he went to Kansas, let's, City, let's be honest. You put Bo Jackson in any backfield. He's going to take carries away from whoever's there. Oh, absolutely. Bosch was the better player. He's okay. <laughs> the carries away. 
That's another thing. Bo was the better player and took carries away from Marcus Allen, so he's already the better player. I mean, if he'd have gone to a Bill Parcells team, Curtis Martin wouldn't have sniffed the field. What? Oh, now you're crazy. If you if you haven't watched him play at Pittsburgh, the reason why he was picked, I believe, ahead of Bo. Oh no, 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 not that's what that's what I'm saying. Ahead of Bo. I I think you meant that. Um, if you put. Bo Jackson on the same team with Curtis right. Martin. Curtis Martin's going to be holding out, demanding the trade, because Bo's yeah. getting the bulk of the work. And guess who else would have been demanding the trade? Jim Brown, if he had Bo Jackson in front of him <laughs> on the same team. So that's no surprise. I mean, we're not just discovering fire here. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, Curtis Martin, I believe, you know, should be is at, at number eight. You disagree. Who would be your number eight? My number eight would probably be Adrian Peterson. I can agree. Uh, I can I can agree with that. And I actually, they're interchangeable on my list because I have Adrian Peterson as my next guy. So, you know what? I, I can see that. I can agree with it. You know, you're splitting hairs with that. So, Adrian Peterson, and we already know the 2,000 yards, but what's more impressive about those 2,000 yards is that he came off of an ACL the following season. The same injury that kept Gail Say is out of football permanently because medicine and technology wasn't what it was back then as it is as it was with <clears throat> Adrian Peterson running the, ball, running the ball. Not to mention Adrian Peterson's injury history in college never was really an issue in the NFL. And an, and an ACL right. is not an injury history. It's not injury prone. That's just a flat out injury. You know right. what I mean? But they, Adrian, they must have given him a bionic knee or something because he came back better than before. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you another thing, though, with Adrian Peterson, I mean, him and Curtis Martin being interchangeable, I think you can – the reason why I would have um, – I have uh, Peterson over him is because of those 2,000 yards and the reliability. The overall skill set, He, you know, Curtis Martin was more reliable, as we saw with all of those years, getting 1,000-plus yards. But 48 fumbles by AP? Bro, that's not exactly reliable. You're reliable because you're showing up for attendance, so you're just saying present. But when you're <laughs> out there in the field – you're getting you're getting rid of the ball like it's a disease. You're like, bro, let's give it away like candy. Trick or treat. Here's the ball. Yeah, I mean, fumbling could be a problem. Yeah, but um, he put up some monster numbers. He he put up a lot of good uh, performances. He he he's top ten regardless. Oh, you know what? I I can't argue again. Once again, Curtis Martin I had just behind him. He's above him. Um, Adrian Peterson on, on my list is above him. So we can, yeah, there's no agreeing to disagree. We're splitting hairs of anything at all. Adrian Peterson, Curtis Martin, hey, I think you win with both guys on the team. I mean, obviously, Adrian Peterson was more explosive. I mean, I go back to his college days. What was it, Palestine, Texas, when he was the number one running back, if not player, in all of high school football, and he comes in as a true freshman and gets nearly 1,900 yards as a true freshman, man? I mean, come on, he was just a phenom, and that's very yeah. rare. But, yeah, he was very explosive. Uh, very explosive. And he did become a little bit injury prone in, in college. And I wondered what would happen in the NFL, where if you're injury prone in college, you're going to have issues in the NFL. And he didn't have those serious injuries with the exception of the real serious injury. He wasn't what you would consider injury prone back then. Right. It, it seemed like he was missing like almost every other game at Oklahoma. Yeah, it was. So, so when he got drafted, I was like, oh, man, that's not a good pick. He, that guy is injury prone. But he wasn't, and that was a surprise to me. Um, you know, mm -hmm. respect to him, he got himself in shape, stayed healthy enough to be out on the field, and he was very productive. And I do remember that year that he did come out, it was 2007. I went up to Indianapolis for the combine, and I remember being part of the media up there and seeing him and seeing how small he was, at least in my opinion. They were saying he was about 215, 217, somewhere around there. And I'm looking at him like, oh, I don't think he is. Somebody out here is lying, but apparently they weren't because this was the combine. They don't play games up there. If they say that you're 217, there is no over, there is no under. That's what you yeah. are. It's just he carried it well. And he wasn't a problem in the NFL taking punishment. And look at him. A Hall of Fame career has followed. He's still trying to hang on. If someone calls him up right now, if Dalvin Cook doesn't want to sign, <laughs> that's what he wants to do. So, yeah, Adrian Peterson is the other guy. And so that brings us to, and he's out my seven. So we move up to number six. And who was that? 
I think somebody who the argument could be made that he should be in the top five as well, but there's only one top five, so six can't go inside five. Uh, uh, Ladanian Thompson. Finally, finally, I agree with you. Bro, he, he's six on my list too. What more can you say about Ladanian Thompson? I mean, he absolute beast. He had a nose for the foot, a nose for the end zone. He got into the end zone several times, and we already know when he had 28 touchdowns. And I think what was it? Oh uh, eight. Um, I think it was 06, 08. He got into the end zone 28 times. Either way you look at it, getting a chance to see him every Sunday, or if he played on Monday, I don't think there was Thursday football back then. Ladanian Thompson showed up. He was something to watch, and I remember watching him from the press box because I didn't believe. I knew he was good watching him on television, but to see him in person, you're doing yourself a disservice if you just want to watch video and trying to analyze someone like LaDainian Thomason. I remember, in fact, um, the game, he ran for 400 yards, as we know, in, in college. And then I remember they were undefeated when he played for TCU, and they were beaten that night by San Jose State, man. San Jose State beat him. But either way, that's <clears throat> college football. What he did as a pro, dynamic player, catches out of the backfield. I mean, uses his block as well, had excellent vision. And simply, like I said already, he had a nose for the ball. He just couldn't be denied, especially when he got those 28 touchdowns in one season. Yeah, so he scored those 28 touchdowns in 2006. Yeah, 2006. So He, he ran for 1,800 yards that season. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry. And he also caught 56 balls, scored three touchdowns. And not too impressive, especially to you, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> nah, nah, come on, man. Shots at me because I like complete backs. <laughs> he, yeah. well, he was a complete back for his for his career. He had 624 receptions. He scored oh, well, yeah, 17 no touchdowns. He catched the ball. I mean, he did catch the ball, but his nose for the ball when he was at the end zone, he was one of those few people, kind of like even Marcus Allen when Marcus Allen had gotten older playing for Kansas City. When you got him by the goal line, it's almost like you just couldn't do nothing about it. He just got in. And that's what Danny and Thomason did. And particularly in 2006. Yeah. yeah, Marcus Allen, thinking about it now, seemed kind of like Jokic, moving in slow motion, just finding the hole and falling into the Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, you never really talked too much or heard too much about Marcus Allen's speed. Even at USC, it wasn't like he was blazing speed. I remember uh, looking at Charles White. He had blazing speed when he was at uh, USC. OJ, the old film, you already know, winning the 100 meters and playing football and blazing through everybody. Marcus Allen wasn't that guy, but he still gets over 2,000 yards as a college player, comes into the NFL, not necessarily missing a beat, and then runs into bowl and has to split time, but he made himself a Hall of Fame career. Of course, it was really highlighted by that big run in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, uh, Marcus Allen, legit, but I just got <clears> some <throat> more legit guys on my list, and Marcus ain't one of them. <laughs> Well, let's move on. We already moved past that. You're wrong <laughs> about that. Marcus is number 10, but we're at number six now, LaDainian Thomason. LaDainian Thomason. Uh, yeah, he has 1,384 yards for his career. Uh, he scored 145 touchdowns. That's a big number. Yeah, it is. There's no question. You're on this list for a reason. You were at number six and arguably could have been number five, but we had to kind of grandfather someone special into number five. <laughs> Because we didn't want to get the, the the blowback and all of the cursing and people just thinking you're saying it for effect. When in reality, when you break it down, no, there's reality involved, not just effect. And that's our next guy. Huh? huh? You want me to say number five? Yeah, you can say number five. Okay, so we we agreed on number five being Emmett Smith. Yes, and, and um, the he's the all-time leading rusher. He's tough as nails, man. He had some some performances where he gutted it, gutted it out. Um, some big performances and big games. Uh, you know, he was part of three Super Bowls. Um, but he probably had the greatest offensive line in history. My point exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on, look at that offensive line he had. This guy wasn't touched. I remember on ESPN. They were talking about he and Barry Sanders because, you know, they're tied together at the hip because they were the two premier running backs in the NFL. And they were talking about the first time Barry was touched as opposed to the first time Emmitt Smith was touched. Emmitt Smith was touched by linebackers and safeties. Barry Sanders was touched by the ref and maybe his own lineman. 
You know, that's pretty much what happened in those games. Barry didn't get a chance, didn't have a chance. It's because of his amazing ability that he did what he had done as a football player for the Detroit Lions. But Emmitt Smith, you know, and, and, and that's also a testament to how we picked these players. We didn't just look at the overall stats completely because, you know what, you're the number one rusher in NFL history, over 18,000 yards. I mean, there aren't too many people close to you. I mean, Frank Gore is number three with 16,000 on the nose. And he's still more than 2,000 away. So um, th there's something to be said, the toughness that's involved. What is the criteria we're using? Well, the eyeball test, because we had a chance to live through a lot of these players. And the team you probably played on, you know, that has something to do with it. And your accomplishments, you know, as a running back, probably being, you know, the uh, rushing leader, getting touchdowns, being at, coming out of the backfield. Emmitt Smith blocked well, too. So, you know, and I think that's good enough under the circumstances of having the best offensive line possibly in the NFL's history gets him at number five and not number one. But be happy with number five, man. There's a lot of guys out there who wish they'd been there. Yeah, so uh, Emmitt Smith, he had 515 receptions. Uh, he only averaged 6.3 yards per, per reception, but he did score 11 touchdowns. Um, I, I, I don't know. Some people be like, how can the greatest rusher of all time be number five? But when you when you look at everything in their totality, if you put other running backs in, on that same Dallas team behind that same line, Barry. they're they're more explosive. They're gonna get bigger numbers. Um, they're gonna they're, the numbers would just be better. So, in but we talk about taking advantage a lot. You know, we've talked about it uh, talking basketball. You know. Mm -hmm. And it took advantage of the line he had. You know, he still had to hit the holes. He still had to know where he was going, set up his blockers. I mean, Emmett, it's no slight to be number five all time. Absolutely not. And he did go through his growing pains when he first came to Dallas and when they went 1-15 and he ran, well, for, uh, what was it, 937 yards, which is ironic only because he also ended his career running for 937 yards. Both <laughs> under four yards a carry. So he did it with the Dallas Cowboys to start. He did it with the Arizona Cardinals at the end of his career to end it. So he had to go through some growing pains with under four yards of carry, take the beating that he had taken before they became the triplets, before Troy Aikman helped them become the triplets and Michael Irvin and himself, and then adding that huge offensive line in front of him. So, yeah, 164 touchdowns rushing also is nothing but a machine. I don't believe, I, in this age especially, that the running back is not used as much. I don't think that we could see that record getting broken by other running backs. I mean, just running the ball. Total, yeah, because they can catch out of the backfield now. Not unless the game changes again. But I know he had a bunch of one- and two-yard touchdowns. I mean, most running backs do. But yeah. I'm saying I think more so than a lot of many other running backs. And I know this because Michael Irvin – was on my fantasy team. And he would always get tackled at the two or three yard line. And then Emmett would run it in. So I would only give credit for the points and the yardage, but Emmett would get the touchdown. Exactly. So he was a playmaker by proxy. He got down to the two. And then you had Emmett getting in the end zone, getting that point, getting the points for fantasy football and becoming an all time great. But we do agree on that. Emmett Smith is number five. And that moves us now because we're chugging along. Time is running short, and so am I. Marshall Falk. I mean, it goes without saying. We don't need to have this long, drawn-out conversation about who would deserve to be from four going up. <clears throat> Marshall Falk speaks for himself. One of only three running backs to have over 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiver. The other two running backs, as we mentioned, Roger Craig was another one who had done it. And most recently, Christian McCaffrey, which is another special back. Marshall Falk just did incredible things as a complete running back on that field. And, you know, I think of another Indianapolis running back because he did start off at Indianapolis before he went to the Rams. Adrian James, when he would come on Monday Night Football, Adrian James, every down back. You know what I mean? He would say that. Yeah. Marshall Falk, the same thing, and even more effective because he was the one I think made it fashionable for running backs to do more than just flare out of the backfield and getting some of these slants. He was doing more finesse patterns as a running back, just like a wide receiver. And he was a mismatch whether you, you had him in the slot or whether he was in motion and broke from there, the soft hands, the blazing speed, 
We know about the 10, 300 meters. In high school, we saw the embarrassment in San Diego State when he just made the, the whack look like Swiss cheese. And then the NFL and his career just took off with the greatest show on turf. Yeah. Marshall, he, he took what Roger Craig did to a way higher level. Oh, insane. Um, you, met, you mentioned him in the slot, even lined up out wide. Yeah. You know, when your running back becomes the X receiver or, you know, the slot receiver, uh, who are you going to match up with him? Uh, and he, he was a mismatch basically for anybody. For anybody. And he had that phenomenal speed, but the soft hands. And he knew how to run patterns. He knew how to run the routes. He wasn't bending it. He wasn't, you know, he was cutting it sharp like receivers do. He was selling the head fakes like receivers do. He didn't just go there and expect the ball to be there because I hope that the running back can out, you know, beat the, the either the safety or the linebacker. He just went out there and ran the pattern the way a wide receiver would run. He would just lose his guy either out of confusion or fear because of that speed. And then when he got the ball, it wasn't just draws. He could grind it out through the middle. He did a lot of that when he was in Indianapolis. He was always <laughs> a great player from day one. And I'm almost embarrassed to think that he was just a product of the whack, which is not known for defense coming out of high school. I'm coming out of college. I mean, he, he did run well against Miami when Miami was good. So going into the pros, he was just fun to watch. Yeah, as a rookie, he ran for 1,200 yards. He averaged 4.1 yards per carry. Yeah. Um, But when he got to St. Louis, that's when he really took off. His first year with St. Louis, he averaged five and a half yards per carry. The next year, 5.4. The next year, 5.3. Um, he's just a special, special running back. They didn't know what to do when it came down to that office. They called it the greatest show on turf. We saw Trent Green, who was supposed to have been the Mozart of the office. <laughs> he goes down. We get Kurt Warner, the grocery store guy, the bagger. He comes in takes it to a completely different level. You have Isaac Bruce, you have Tory Hope, you have Azakim, uh, right? That was also mm -hmm. the third guy. And then you have Marshall Falk. You didn't know who to cover because you yeah. needed double coverage on Isaac uh, Isaac Bruce. You needed double coverage coverage on Tory Hope because we remember his days at North Carolina State beating the hell out of Florida State when they had a real team. And then you have a running back that's running just like they are, but coming out of the backfield and doing things from the backfield like a traditional running back. You see why they got the championship they got. Marshall Falk. Yeah. No did I, did no I mention how many catches he had? Oh, yeah. No, you didn't mention. 767. He averaged nine yards per reception, and he scored 36 touchdowns. 36 receiving touchdowns. That puts to sleep everybody else that we talked yeah. about. When we talked about diverse, diversifying their game, showing more than just being a traditional running back. This guy was a receiver, man. He was just an absolute mismatch. And – a nightmare for opposing defenses. And so we move up the charts because we go with our three guys that we already know, because after we've mentioned who we've mentioned, there are only really three guys that's a consensus and you can put them wherever you want between one, two, and three. They're interchangeable depending on what you like and what you want to see and what your definitions are. And in my opinion, which may so, be from yours. Let me just say, normally I would say these three guys, rank them however you want. I'm not going to argue. But because for this show, I have to pick one, two, and three, mm -hmm. I have an argument. All so. right. And for me, number three would be the most venerable, Jim Brown, the late Jim Brown. And I know he's an I old thought, school guy. I thought we agreed. We agreed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah we agreed. No, and we didn't agree. Well, well, that's well, not well, my number three. Oh, well, I guess, man, you know what? Things change in this world. And it changes <laughs> like the wind. So it's I guess we, well, here we go now. We have hey Jim Brown, you know, five five point two yards a carry. He held the record for so long. I mean, come on, man. I remember when um it was Franco Harris was trying to get that record. He didn't get it. Then of course Walter Kingston was the one to break it. And but Jim Brown, I mean, the Russian champ like forever. And um, I mean, he first started playing when there were just just twelve games though. And there's I believe the disconnect. He played when there were just 12 games. It's no fault of his. It's just a situation that has come up. And being relatively, relatively speaking, you really can gonna compare somebody who's played 16 games and now 17 games to someone who did what he did in a completely different era. He was just a specimen and a phenom during his time. He was just so much more of a, at an advantage against the players he played against. 
I know there were some bigger players, but let's not fool ourselves. I mean, even if you move to the 70s and we can talk about a Jack Lambert at 6'4", 208 pounds, when a wide receiver like Altoon was just as big as him. You know, so they're even smaller when you talk about uh, Jim Brown. But Jim Brown was dominant the way he's supposed to have been dominant with the gifts he had, the team he played for, the Cleveland Browns, who were good once upon a time. And um, 20 touchdown receptions, by the way. We talked about – we were talking about off the air yesterday about players that, you know, Jim Brown, wouldn't he catch a pass? <laughs> 20 touchdown receptions against yeah. those 12 teams and then 14 teams afterwards. So Jim Brown, number three, no problems here. But I think you got a problem. He's not my he's not my number three, but I feel the need to say this <clears throat> because you mentioned him. When Jim Brown doesn't respect you, Franco Harris, yeah, um, that speaks volumes. Yeah. You know, when when people are saying that they should have a 40 a 40 yard dash race, <laughs> Jim Brown says, Why bother? Franco would just run out of bounds. <laughs> mm. Bro. That, that speaks volumes. So if, if you're a Steelers fan and you're wondering why Franco's not on our top 10 list, that's why. Uh, bro, I don't see too many top 10 lists he should be on. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Franco, you know how Steelers fans are. I understand how Steelers fans are. You know, they're, they're uh, I don't know, salt of the earth fans. But I'm not saying he was a terrible back. You know, no, he, he wasn't terrible. He, he put up good numbers. He was, you know, he had the immaculate reception. He, he, he was he, a very good back. No, look. He's just not. Top 10. The number 11th back, if we had a number 11, would still be one of the greatest of all time. So there is no shame in not being in the top 10. It's just that I don't believe his accomplishments. I mean, it's a team accomplishment because I know they'll talk about the four Super Bowls. It's a team accomplishment. But what he had done with Mike Webster, one of the greatest centers to ever live, especially for that time and the, the trapping they did, that's what the Steelers did. You know, <clears throat> he was dominant for his time, but there were just too many other running backs who I believe were physically more talented and did more for their team. And Franco Harris wasn't that guy. Yeah. So for me, you're, or I don't know who your number two is, but my number three, your number three is my number two. Okay. Because my number two, I don't even know how we have to end like this. Your guy, sweetness, number two. Even after your analogy and after pretty much schooling me on how it should have been done at the goal line, who do you oh, want in there? Well, well, let me get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay, so Walter Payton is who I have at number two because I look at pure running back. But you know what, though? Look, I could be wrong, and I think there's somewhat of a bias there with Barry Sanders because that guy was such a phenomenal player, and we know that he was a phenomenal person. All of the things that Barry did on the football field, but Walter Payton speaks for himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my accolades. He played on a bad Bears team. You're a Bears fan. You know the types of teams he played on where he shouldn't have gotten more than two yards of carry, and yet he's setting NFL records against the Minnesota Vikings running for 275 yards. It was 276. Either way, he was Five. doing that with a bad team in front of him. He never saw a quarterback on his in his life that at least played with him. <laughs> you know, worth it. Worth it. And But you know, he caught out of the backfield. He ran out of the backfield. He blocked. He was the original every down back coming in from Jackson State at 196 pounds and ultimately playing his career at 202 pounds. Not that big a guy. Someone who sought out contact against the bigger guys and won most of those battles. Walter Payton, sweetness. Yeah. Nothing wrong with number two. Plus, he threw, he threw eight touchdowns. He, he, threw, he, some threw, he threw some absolute dimes in his day. Yeah, um, you know, when, when all the sorry-ass Bears quarterbacks got hurt, they lined him up at quarterback. He was the original Wildcat. Unbelievable. He and Brian Mitchell coming from the Washington Redskins. Forget that commander's nonsense. The Washington Redskins, yeah, that utility guy that can go in and run the option if you need to or even throw dime passes. If you knew anything about Walter Payton outside of the Chicago Bears when he was with Jackson State, the Tigers, and he was the kicker. He was the punter. He was the running back. He did all of those things. He literally did all of those things. And he did well kicking the ball with extra points in particular. So, yeah, Walter Payton did a whole lot of things. Yeah. And it's he only my bias that he has even, even returned kicks in the NFL. Uh, exactly. He, you know, because he did it in college. <clears throat> you know, he was on an episode of Soul Train upside down dancing. Come on, <laughs> man. He was everywhere. He did everything. He was a phenomenal athlete. There's nothing else to be said about the type of athlete he was. It's just that my perpetual uh, bias. No pun intended, or maybe so. 
has Barry Sanders well, as number one. I'll let, I'll, let you, I'll let you state your number one, and then I'll tell you and everyone else why you're wrong. Yeah, see, there, there we go. You just can end it on a nice note. But yeah, Barry Sanders, number one, the only one out of all of these guys we've spoken about that had 1,000 yards or more every season he played. It was only 10 years because he got tired of losing because Detroit didn't do anything to help him. He played behind. I'm not going to call that line terrible because the line was actually better than what people gave it credit for. I mean, didn't you have uh, Kevin Glover and Lomas Brown on that offensive line? You know, they didn't go to the, uh, go to the Pro Bowl, so it wasn't like he didn't have anything. But I do understand when you had the run and shoot, you had Herman Moore out there, you had Johnny Morton. They spread the offense out, and Barry Sanders being the player that he was coming out of college, in particular, especially being as fast as he was, elusive as he was, man, over 2,000 yards you know, in his career, in one season as well, 2,053 yards. And the ironic part about that is the first two games of that season, Bobby Ross was the coach. Tommy Vardell was his fullback. And he had 53 yards in his first two games. That means in his last 14 games, which would have been the same 14-game season O.J. Simpson had when he ran for over 2,000, Barry got 2,000 on the nose. And, hey, the rest is history. Barry Sanders, number one in our hearts, except for bias. <laughs> um, Barry was incredible, man. What, what can you say? He was electric, um, make people miss breaking ankles before breaking ankles was even a phrase. Um, made guys look absolutely ridiculous. Yep. Put up numbers. Um, just a great, great running back. But if yeah. you want me to tell you why you're wrong, I can do that now unless you want to talk well, about Barry some more. Well, Barry <clears throat> is great because we see the numbers. I mean, we don't want to just go by numbers, but the eyeball test is just pure running. It's just absolutely out insane. I mean, you can look at Gail Sayers and see what he did against the talent he played against, and you would still think Barry did a better job of eluding tacklers the way he did. He was faster running a 4-3-7. He was, you know, he was uh, had a lower center of gravity. Those powerful thighs that we talk about, average five yards per carry for his career. We're talking Jim Brown at five point two. So we're talking about either a first down, a half a first down, or a little more than a half a first down in Jim Brown's case. And then of course Barry Sanders, which is supposed to be a negative, but still turns out to be a positive. He had eleven hundred and fourteen yards and losses throughout his career, and still got the numbers he got. And it has something to do with that offensive line, but not necessarily. It was more of his running style because that offensive line wasn't as bad as people say. So Barry Sanders still number one in my heart. Now I'm <laughs> Okay, so and I'm a little bit disappointed because I thought we were in agreement yesterday. When, we when, were, when, man, but I gotta get talked out of it by the we gotta thing. give me a heads up. I said at the top, we we agreed on the top five. Hey, yeah. Here's the so monkey wrench. So I asked Trav yesterday. Five seconds on the clock. You're at the Super Bowl. You're at the one-yard line, and you're down five points. And you have Jim Brown, Walter Payton, and Barry Sanders on your on your roster. Who do you give the ball to? Or who's the first one you don't give the ball to? You're asking me again? <laughs> well, I mean, well, let, don't, let, don't let, let, the, let the listeners think about it for a second. Yeah. Last play of the game, you have no timeouts. You got to get it in the end zone. And those are your three options. Well, if you're Pete Cowell, you throw the ball. Come on, Trav. Stay, <laughs> stay on topic. Stay on topic. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, look, Barry played in the run and shoot. So Just say it. Say we all know the answer. You're not going to pick Barry. You're not going to pick right? Barry because no. he didn't have the history. Barry's of out of there. He's number line. three. Barry's number three. Yeah, right? he's number three according to he's that He's number scenario. three. If you can't count on him in the most crucial of times, he can't be number one. The offense is what changed the game. I mean, the offense is what changes the deal. You had the offense, the run and shoot. You the still same. had two big wide receivers who worked really well in the red zone. Two big wide receivers. Barry can still – he's not going to get a draw play down by that way. But he's been in the end zone before. And by the way, they also can get in the eye formation, which he had done with Tommy Vardell blocking for him. So yeah, but the, the the chances that he gets tackled behind the line of scrimmage are much greater well, than if anything like that Green Bay Jim game. Brown getting caught behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? Okay, so 
that we're talking the three options you're going to run the ball with, yeah. right? So Barry's out of there. Because you're either going to go Brown, 57 fumbles. I don't want to touch him Jim Brown, 57 fumbles. He can sit down too. <laughs> I guess okay. we got to stick with sweetness. Thank you. That's what I said. And that's when I decided to go with Barry. <laughs> it makes too much damn sense. You know, so, wanna... All right. So if you're not going to pick Barry at the goal line with the game on the line over Walter or Jim Brown, then he can't be number one or number two. And if you you look at Walter, he threw touchdown passes. You said it all for him. You know, what? he did everything. Yeah, that's true. He did you know it what? all. So that little bit puts him above Jim Brown. But because it, you, I can't say Jim Brown would score and Walter wouldn't. No. Or they're like Walter's going over the top or he's going to run over somebody. Walter's getting in. Jim Brown's getting in. Barry Sanders, Well, there's a chance he doesn't. But I'll take a chance and say I'll go by what really happened. Mike Dick let the fridge run it in. There was no Walter Payton getting into the end zone when it mattered the most. Hey, we saw it ourselves. That it didn't matter the most. They won forty six to ten. But that it was game a Super was Bowl. over. You have the best that player, game was the greatest over. player in your team's history. The great, the greatest player in your team's history has a chance to get into the end zone in your game's biggest game, and he doesn't get in. A novelty got in. A three hundred so pound novelty got in. So you're you're going to use Ditka's stupidity against Walter. Well, if he's if he's the coach, that was the coach of that team, right? We got to go with that. We just can't have these phantom coaches. Let's say Parcells is now with the Chicago Bears. Nobody's saying that. We saw what happened. He couldn't get the job done. Well, you know what? He didn't get the end zone. That's all I know. If I got to defend my boy uh, Barry about that, because he never even oh, got a Barry chance. never got to the Super Bowl. Exactly. He never had a crucial game. So because he didn't have a team to do it. He didn't oh have no, 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 no. He no, had a team no, to do no, it. Scott Mitchell, the, the great. Well, I don't know if he had Scott good, Mitchell, but I mean, hey, maybe it was the coach's fault. Maybe Barry didn't do enough. Barry I mean, he, he, he didn't get it done. Barry didn't get it done. No, he didn't. No, he did not get it done. Didn't he have and a playoff game where he ran for go with fumbling Jim? Didn't he have a playoff game where he ran for what seven yards? Minus, no, minus two. Minus two. There you go. He didn't get it done. That wasn't a Super Bowl. Why are you making me say this about Barry, man? <laughs> That's blasphemous. That's why. And well, you you brought up the fridge, so hey, it's all it's all fair. <laughs> hey, that's your guy, you, man. The, the fridge. The fans, you, you took the gloves off. You took the gloves <laughs> off. I had I had you you hit me with a hook. I had to respond. <laughs> and the counter shot. Hey, we'll be talking a little bit more boxing after this. But I tell you <laughs> what, hey, those are our top ten guys. I hope you enjoyed the show and the way that we had to bring it to you from 10 to 1, and we didn't agree on everything, but we made a case for the ones that we did agree on, and even the ones we did not agree on. We agreed on. on 8. We agreed on 8, and then he made a mistake with 2. Martin out of there. We agreed on 8. He made a mistake with 2. He made a mistake with 2. We agreed on 8. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, with that being said, the 25th episode, the quarter century mark episode, is now going to come to a close. We'll be back here tomorrow to talk about, well, the rest of the sports world, as you know, today is the day on Wednesdays in which we pick one topic and try to run with it. And we ran with it along with these running backs. But unfortunately, we didn't catch as much as these running backs, especially not like Marshall Falk. So for bias, I'm Trav. Catch you tomorrow. Later. Thank you.